According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs 12, we got one last point to deal with in verses 17 through 22, and then we're ready to move on to verses 23 through 28, which is the final portion of uh, the chapter. So 17 through 22, we've been dealing with truth versus lies, and uh, we've seen this in several of these verses. Uh, Verse 17 says, he who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. Um, Verse 19, truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. Verse 20, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. And so time and time again we got these contrasts between truth and deceit. Verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are His delight. And these are the, uh, the issues we deal with, not only on a practical basis, uh, but on a much larger uh, scope of things to consider the conflict between God the Father and Satan, to consider the conflict between His Son representing truth and Satan representing the lie, Christ and Antichrist, and all the, the large themes of Scripture between Genesis and Revelation get encapsulated in something so simple as tell the truth. <laughs> something so simple as uh, you might teach a uh, a four-year-old or a five-year-old, you know, like your grandkids and that, you know, you get these little kids and they, it's amazing how they learn how to tell lies, you know, and, and it's just, be, you know, no one had to teach them that, they just have sin natures. <laughs> and so there it is, you know, so tell the truth. And uh, <clears throat> a lesson as simple as that actually is part of a much larger thing that comes, like as I say, to the whole scope of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the conflict uh, between God and Satan in uh, in these things. So, all right, well let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll jump right back to where we left off and we'll uh, we'll gain some new ground this morning. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before your throne of grace, thankful for your truth, thankful for your faithfulness, calling upon your faithfulness yet again, Father, to open the eyes of our understanding to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I thank you for this Proverbs series. ask for your continued guidance upon the study and preparation and the presentation of the material. And Father, uh, uh, you know my concern that maybe we're, we're slowing down too much and getting bogged down in these chapters, but <coughs> Father, uh, we trust that uh, it's all in your hands. And uh, whether we're too fast or too slow, we're humble before you and we, we're trusting in you. To feed, uh, to feed us as you would have for us to be fed. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So uh, in the outline then, point 10 is the current point of study. So if I show you the slides, that's the whole chapter right there. And uh, too small to read. <laughs> we talked about the know-it-all in point 9 who is the fool, and we dealt with him in verses 15 and 16. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. That principle comes back again uh, later here in the chapter. Uh, no, everybody needs counsel. So if you're the, if you're the, the know-it-all that says, oh, I don't need to listen to that, uh, then you're the fool that this passage is talking about. And uh, 
Nothing worse than a fool that doesn't know he's a fool. All right. Then we get into 17 through 22. Personal and public life. This is point 10. Personal and public life shaped by God's wisdom will be characterized by truth. Any believer you know that's struggling with truth issues, um, (laughs) what they're really struggling with is living in the Word of God and letting the Word of God shape their being, letting the Word of God shape their thinking because this you can't help but have this outcome when you are living in the truth. So uh, if your life is shaped by God's wisdom, it's going to be characterized by truth. Whereas personal and public life shaped by the world's wisdom will be characterized by lies. And, and isn't it interesting that here we have in our culture right now this big uh, scandal and all these goings-on related to fake news and, and all the rest, you know, and, and uh, news stories getting retracted and people getting fired at CNN and all this stuff because they were putting forth lies and they knew they were lies when they broadcast them. And, uh, and now it's been exposed for what it, what it was with hidden cameras and things. So kind of interesting. And when, when personal life and public life is shaped uh, by the world's wisdom, then uh, that's going to be characterized by lies. Now, before I get back into where we left off, uh, let me just remind you, if you're not familiar with James chapter 3, I refer to this a fair amount. And in fact, fairly common, I refer to this um, with some frequency. And so just want you to spot it in James 3, verses uh, 13 through 18. It's the last paragraph of chapter 3. And there are two different kinds of wisdom, and we want to be clear So um, it says in verse 13, "...who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom." And this would be God's wisdom, the positive side. "...but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth." And that's what I'm talking about. When, When you have a personal life or a public life shaped by the world's wisdom... It's going to be characterized by lies. Not only lying to the world, but lying against the truth itself. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. In other words, it is called though, it is a wisdom. But it's just a different wisdom. It's a different kind of wisdom. You can think of it as an alternative wisdom, okay? That uh, supports alternative lifestyles, right? But no, we want God's wisdom that supports God's lifestyle. So this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but this wisdom is earthly, natural, demonic. And there's there's an anti-trinity right there. Earthly, natural, demonic. And uh, and, and it's a given that every unbeliever in the world is, is following that, right? But what's heartbreaking is that believers are following that. You and I, uh, born again brothers and sisters who should know better, because they're not living in the Word of God. They're not true disciples. They're not being transformed by the renewing of their mind. Therefore, they're being conformed to this age. Right here, this describes that conformity. It describes the wisdom from below. It is earthly, natural, demonic. And it's sad. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. And that right there is descriptive of personal life and public life apart from the Word of God. That's descriptive of a lot of political endeavors. That's descriptive of political parties. That's descriptive of churches. And uh, you think about the selfishness and the selfish ambition 
jealousy and selfish ambition. Think about ministries that could be characterized by that. Building huge empires and all these things and and, and just ask yourself, is this the wisdom from above or is this the wisdom from below? What is it that motivates that? All right. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And this is why I think James, I believe Galatians was written early and James was written late. I believe that the Apostle James was impacted by the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians and it comes out here. It comes out in this description of uh, the wisdom from above. And uh, clearly when you're living in the Word of God and expressing His wisdom through the filling of the Holy Spirit, this is what comes across. So many parallels between this and uh, Galatians 5 with the, the fruit of the Spirit. Pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. All right, so just keep that in your thinking. We'll have other aspects of that coming up in our uh, Philippians series, by the way. We've got the fruit of righteousness coming up in Philippians. So um, part of the ongoing prayer for the Philippian believers at the end of chapter 1. Anyway, so that's the concept now that I think is, is being expressed here in Proverbs 12 when we're contrasting truth with lie and uh, the different, different walks of life that are pursuing one or the other. And, uh, and so in your personal life and then at the larger public life, if it's shaped by God's wisdom, it's going to be characterized by truth. If it's shaped by the world's wisdom, well, they've got their own version of the truth, but it's all lies, Okay and uh, aspects there. So uh, a couple of things here. Uh, in verse 18 we have uh, the language of, uh, of uh, the sword and also the language of healing there. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And uh, just to review and remind ourselves that uh, not only is it an issue of truth versus lie but there's also injury that takes place or benefit that takes place. Our words have the power to hurt and the power to heal. And this is just a reminder. It's not a large emphasis in this chapter, just that that little verse there by itself in verse 18. But it's a reminder for a larger theme that we developed back in chapter 10. And uh, in chapter 10 we observed that uh, the mouth could be a place of concealment for violence, right? And uh, that, uh, or it could be a fountain of healing. Uh, the same thing, there was that, that contrast there, that with our words we're either very soothing, very comforting, very healing, or we're destructive. We are absolutely hurtful in the things that we say. And uh, so you've got notes back in chapter 10 that we developed that at some length. Also point B, truth versus lies is a contrast of the abomination versus the delight. And uh, here it's just mentioned in passing in verse 22, just a short reminder, if you will, for something that was previously developed. But in verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are His delight. And so there's that contrast, the abomination versus the delight. And uh, so here too is an opportunity we have to reveal a doctrine that we studied back in chapter 11. 
and uh, we gave uh, much lo- uh, spent more time on that several weeks to detail the, the fact that the abomination is something you're pushing away. You want an arm's length and further. I mean, you want to push it so far, it's gone. And uh, you don't want it to be in any kind of proximity. That's the abomination, right? And uh, maybe we're the last church in the world still teaching this. I don't know. But <laughs> the Bible talks about abominations, whereas the rest of the world is having pride parades and other things that are embracing uh, you know, days to celebrate. I think all of Canada was celebrating stuff yesterday and probably uh, much of our country too. Um, no, the Bible calls it an abomination and God pushes it away. We should be pushing it away. And then the, the language of delight, the language of, of a delight is something that you embrace, something that you hug. And, uh, and so uh, they couldn't be any more vivid, you know, more opposite than that. So if you want to review your notes from chapter 11, we uh, discussed that. And it's not always sexual either. Most of, most of the abominations are sexual, but some of them are financial, uh, economic abominations. And this one here is with respect to sins of the tongue, with respect to lying. Lying is called an abomination. And so, you know, we're not, we're not judgmental, uh, you know, Bible-thumping fundies that just hate homosexuals. Uh, we are those that are standing for the truth, and that includes economically and, and, and truth versus lies and everything else. If the Bible calls it an abomination, we call it an abomination, and we, we preach the truth as it stands. Thirdly then, this whole issue on truth versus lie comes down to the contrast here with Jesus Christ versus Satan. Jesus Christ is faithful and true. It really comes to the core of who Jesus is. It's like the text in 1 Corinthians. Don't you know you're, you're members of Christ's body? How then do you take uh, the members of Christ's body and become one flesh with, with a harlot? How do you do that? You're members of Christ's body. Uh, it's the same kind of contrast here. It's just unthinkable. We are in Christ. Jesus Christ is faithful and true. Why would I have a life that's characterized by a bunch of lies? It's just, it's antithetical to who we are in Christ. If He is the way, the truth, and the life, then truth ought to be the, the a pillar of our existence. So um, the faithful and true witness has blessings in front of Him. The God of truth is going to bless Him in the coming kingdom. There's prophecies of this related in Isaiah 65, verses 16 and 17. And, and uh, it's interesting, when, when the prophets speak of the coming kingdom, and they speak of it as a time of blessing and a time of joy. The, the greatest blessing of all is the fact that it's a time of truth. That Israel is going to be teachers to the Gentile nations and that there's going to be global truth. They will all know me from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters, you know, the, the waters cover the earth. It's, there's marvelous prophecies with respect to the increase in truth. See? Daniel speaks of this. In the latter days, men will go back and forth and truth, knowledge will increase, it says in Daniel chapter 12. Anyway, so we've got these these messages, uh, these prophecies, all centered on the blessings and centered on the truth. And uh, it's why I think so much of of, uh, prophetic studies, and even in Jesus' day, they were misguided. They, uh, they, uh, They had political ambitions. They wanted to get rid of Rome. You know, you have a whole party like the zealots that were willing to take up arms and conduct uh, guerrilla warfare operations, uh, assassinations and things uh, against uh, the Romans. Um, and, and, and you wondered, were the disciples really, were they all excited about the truth? 
Or were they just ready to see the kingdom come in and, and imagining the, the tremendous power they were going to have or the, the, the authority they were going to have in the coming kingdom? Okay? And uh, Jesus kept taking them back to the truth and keep, keep taking them back to the truth. And uh, it's interesting to me. All right. So Jesus Christ is faithful and true. These are his titles in Revelation 3.14 and 1911. This uh, faithful and true witness will be blessed by the God of truth and will have the world to come subjected to him. And that's the prophecy in Isaiah 65, verses 16 and 17. We see the fulfillment of that in the new heavens and new earth of Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. Okay, And outside are the liars. Outside are the liars. And we're going to see that here next. I'm going to spend today talking about liars. Point D, Satan and his brood. I like that. Brood is just such a fun term. All the ways you can refer to offspring. You know, you have children or you have, uh, I don't know, you have a litter, okay, or you have a, a pack. No, you have a brood. I like the fact that it's called a brood of vipers. And uh, John the Baptist used that language. Jesus used that language, called these Pharisees a brood of vipers. And so to me, brood is kind of a fun expression, kind of a collective noun for. Um, offspring that uh, of a nefarious sort, okay? And uh, that's what they are. They're a brood of vipers. This is a theme that was stressed by Jesus in John 8, 44. It's a theme that's stressed by Paul in 1 Timothy 1, 10 and 4, 2. It's a theme that's stressed by the Apostle John uh, throughout his epistles, and uh, mainly 1 John and then Revelation. And uh, so here's a theme. And, and these are, I think these are some good verses. Again, this, this takes us into some deeper realms. It's, it's more than just teaching a four-year-old not to tell lies. Um, it comes down to this, this conflict and how God is resolving this conflict. So, John eight forty four, And um, John 8 is the great I am the light of the world chapter. And uh, what does light do? Light exposes things. Light reveals things. And uh, <clears throat> even before you get to verse 44, there is a lot leading up to this where Jesus Christ keeps emphasizing the truth again and again and again. And um, so in John eight twelve, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And that's why we're here. That's why humanity was created in the resolution of the angelic conflict. And, uh, and so here we are. And so the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And here comes the Pharisaic attack, calling the, the faithful and true witness a liar. Isn't that something? So Jesus answered and said, even if <laughs> I testify about myself. Now he says, I'm not doing that. Okay? This is, uh, this is a hypothetical even if I was, it's still true. Not that I'm doing that. Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. See, in order to expose the lie, you have to know the truth. And if you're ignorant, then you're not in a position to say anything's true or false. It says, you judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone. But even if I do judge... Remember, first advent wasn't about judgment. That's second advent. 
Even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. And so you need two or three witnesses? Great. How about the Father? (laughs) I'm preaching everything He sent me to preach. Even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I like the way He kind of nails them on what they've done here. He says, it's your law, huh? You know, you guys have seated yourself in the chair of Moses. You've added to the law again and again. You've got all your earthly traditions. You've, you've twisted it in ways that the, the Lord of the Sabbath doesn't even recognize your version of the Sabbath anymore. But even in your law, <laughs> you still have it in there that uh, the witnesses of two, the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So there you go. Okay? It's true. So we've got all these things here about truth and, and so now they say, well, where is your father? Verse 19. They were saying to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These Pharisees aren't even saved. Okay, When it comes right down to it, this is eternal life that thou will know me and or the, that you will know the father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Right. So that by definition because they don't know the Father, they don't know the Son, they're not regenerate. They're not born again as Old Testament believers. And because they're not born again, we're going to find out here in this chapter, they've got a different father. Okay? They are of their father, the devil. They're still in Adam and they have the federal headship of Satan if they're under his dominion in, uh, in this fallen world. So um, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. No one seized him yet because his hour had not yet come. And uh, anyway, there's some other things here about being in your sins and, uh, and those things. Verse 27, they did not realize that he'd been speaking to them about the Father. See, John provides the commentary here with perspective of decades. He's writing this in the, in the 80s, but you know, 50 years after the events, using his, his insight, his hindsight, to uh, give us the commentary here. All right. Um, Yet, even with all the opposition in verse 30, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So is there value in going face to face against these Pharisees? Well, some were coming to faith. And some were listening to those guys and listening to Jesus and they were coming to believe in Jesus. Okay? I'm thankful Jesus didn't back down. He went face to face against those... uh, that brood of vipers. So, verse 31, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in Him, if you live, continue, abide, remain, dwell, if you menow in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. If you've not already got onto the fact that not every believer is a disciple, that verse proves it right there. Because in verse 30 they were believers. And He's telling these believers, you need to abide in My Word. And if you don't abide in my word, you're not disciples. If you do abide in my word, you are truly disciples of mine. And that's what it comes down to. And, and it's tragic, but it's, it's true that uh, most believers you meet are not abiding in the word of God. They're not disciples. Consequence of being a disciple is you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. See, that's why with humility we have to receive the word implanted that's able to save your souls. You want the truth to make you free? You want to be rescued from sin? From the experiential power that sin has in your daily life? You've got to be living in the Word of God. Then you will be set free. 
So, it's a sin issue in verse 34. Not an issue of being saved or lost, it's an issue of being saved, living in the Word of God so that you have your, that, that power of sin is broken day by day. All right. This is a lot of background for verse 44, isn't it? Verse uh, 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. Biologically, they're Jewish people, but they're not born again. Yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you do the things which you have heard from your father. See, all of this is leading up to verse 44, including the fact that there's two fathers around here. And Jesus says, my father's not your father. And you want to do the things which you heard from your father. So they answered and said to him, well, Abraham's our father. We're Jews. We're just as Jewish as you. And so he says, all right, well, if you are, then do the deeds, right? Abraham believed in God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you, see, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which, you heard from, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You're doing the deeds of your father. Say, Abraham's not your father. You're not sons of Abraham by faith. And now they're really angry. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. <laughs> we know, we know. You know, we checked it out. We got your whole background. We know that uh, you were still engaged, not yet married. Joseph and Mary were still engaged, not yet married. When you snuck off to have that little quickie wedding thing. And we know about the birth. We know that, that she was pregnant before, uh, before the, the, the wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we got that figured out. You know, you got that January birthday and your parents didn't get married until September. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, we can count the months, you know. And, and that's what they're doing here. We were not born of fornication. All right. Which is, he wasn't either, but they're, they're accusing him of that, okay? Anyway. We have one father. God is our father. And now he's got him again. Same statement as before. Well, if that's the case, <laughs> you know, if God were your father, see all of these are second class conditions. These are all counterfactuals. God will use counterfactual logic in very powerful ways. If God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth and have come from God for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. They don't have the ears to hear. God is not their father. They don't love him. You are of your father, the devil. Okay? Who, by the way, is Ha Diabolos, who is not the, the bad, wicked one. It's the slanderer. It's the one that slanders with, with all of the lies of, of his invention. You are of your father, the slanderer, the fake news guy, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you spot the connection between murder and lying? <laughs> you know, between you got life and truth 
that God represents, that Jesus Christ represents, and uh, now you've got murder and lying, and they're so linked. The unbeliever will, will say, well, there's no big deal for lies, they're just little white lies, they're just little things. Murder, well, okay, I guess that's serious. <laughs> but even then, they still march and hate the death penalty. They still try to find excuses for the murderer. They're going to side with the murderer every chance they can get. Why? <laughs> what, what possibly motivates defending uh, a murderer? Except Satan. Okay? The power of darkness will always attack God's sanctioned authority no matter what. So, here's Jesus stressing this theme. Your, your father, uh, whenever he speaks, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But I, because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of, of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? They're going to put him on a cross. They're going to convict him, but it's going to be built on a lie. There's no truth to anything they convicted him of. So he who hear, uh, is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. All right. Well, it goes on. That doesn't make him any happier either. <laughs> okay. Every, every black letter verse in this chapter is, uh, or most of them here seem to be uh, angry Pharisees getting angrier. So here's Jesus stressing that theme. Paul stresses this theme. 1 Timothy. And he does so in his pastoral epistle to Timothy. 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 10, and chapter 4, verse 2. Well, there again. Um, whatever is contrary to sound teaching. The, uh, we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill fathers or mothers, for murderers and, and fornicators, it renders it immoral men, but murderers and fornicators, and homosexuals, and kidnappers, and liars, and perjurers. You know the difference between a liar and a perjurer? <laughs> okay. Um, well, one of them makes it official in a legal proceeding and acts as if it's the truth. And whatever else is contrary to sound teaching according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This is why we preach. This is why we want the Word of God to transform our being. Otherwise, man, we're conformed to the age. and That's, that's an ugly destiny right there. Chapter 4 and verse 2. Verses 1 and 2, how about that? <clears throat> or even 1 through 5, how about that? <laughs> okay. Um, the Spirit explicitly says, in later time, some will fall away from the faith. And here we are. We are in the, we are in apostate Christendom. You know, 21st century Christianity has got a lot to answer for. Some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So you don't just walk away from truth and fall into nothing. When you walk away from the truth, you're following a lie. And uh, every, uh, every alternative to biblical Christianity is demonic deceit. 
by means of the hypocrisy of liars. It's a pack of lies, but it's disguised as truth. It's disguised as religion. It's described as biblical Christian. It's disguised as biblical Christianity, but it's it's miles apart. It's this thing that we talk about called moralistic therapeutic deism, and it is it is prevalent in our churches, in our Christian bookstores, on the radio. Moralistic therapeutic deism. It's everywhere. And it's deceitful spirits, the doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, they've damaged their own soul's capacity to even feel bad about it. They're convinced it's great. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. And uh, why does it always come down to that? And it's interesting, it's either, it's either a, a denial of marriage like Roman Catholicism and celibacy and all this stuff, or it's just such a perversion of anything related to marriage that it's anything goes. You know, so you talk about, isn't that another way just to, to forbid marriage? By presenting anything goes and calling it marriage? Abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in? by those who believe and know the truth. In other words, God designed it. He designed it for our blessing. He designed it for our appetite and appreciation. So eat it. Have fun. Enjoy it. And quit thinking that these uh, religious rules have any value. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected. If it is received with gratitude, it is sanctified by means of the Word of God in prayer. In other words, temporal life should be shaped by spiritual life. From where we work to what we eat, uh, everything we do, our marriage, our, our sexual relations, our children, our families, everything is shaped by the Word of God, sanctified by the Word of God in prayer. We study it, we learn it, we live it, we pray about it, we ask for the Father's faith conviction and we, we move on. It's a beautiful thing. And that's why it says in pointing out these things to the brethren you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. See, we don't want to be following those doctrines of demons. That's the, that's the liar and his brood and they're all out there. They're everywhere. You know, it, it, it's almost like I think, do you ever see the, the, the Matrix with Keanu Reeves? I mean the whole world is Agent Anderson, right? <laughs> you know? Uh, or Agent Smith, what was that agent's name? Yeah, because Mr. Anderson was the was the good guy. Was anyway, but yeah, this whole world is full of agents. The Matrix is is the cosmos system of Satan, and uh, we, with our eyes open, realize uh, this fallen world for what it is, and we can we can look at the truth. We can take the red pill, right, and we can see the truth. Okay, if you haven't seen it, well, uh, <laughs> we should show it on a movie night or do something. You know, maybe not. All right. Yeah, language is probably rough. All right. First John. First John. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 5. Again and again and again. First John. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Practical, uh, on a practical basis, if we're lying, we're making him a liar. 
If we affirm that our lie is the truth, then we're affirming that God's truth is a lie. And, uh, and so on that basis, making him a liar, we realize how serious this, uh, this issue is. No, we want to be walking in the light, which means we want to have a sinless consistency. If we do sin, there's confession, but even prior to that, without the sin, we want to be continuously cleansed by Jesus Christ. If we're walking in the light as He's in the light, right? Um, the, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus His Son keeps on continuously, presently now, cleansing us from all sin. This is our constant inoculation that hinders the sin from even happening in the first place as we walk in the light. But if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. That's the emphasis John makes there. Chapter 2 and verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now this, you can, this could be a couple different ways. A professing believer who's never truly saved or sadly the, the one who is saved but never becomes a disciple, never lives in the truth. He never knows the truth. The truth doesn't set him free. He's still the slave of sin that he was as an unbeliever. He never gets renewed in the spirit of his mind. And so he's not keeping the commandments, he's not walking in the light. But whoever keeps his word, and in him the love of God has truly been perfected, by this we know that we are in him. And there is, there is a tremendous assurance that comes as you're walking in the light. There's a tremendous subjective blessing and benefit to walking in the light. And uh, it's an ought to, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. It's an ought to. Not every believer lives up to the ought to's, but he ought to. Okay, And if you know one that ought to and isn't, then you've got the opportunity to, uh, to speak to him in love. Don't, don't admonish him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother and say, hey, you know what you ought to be doing? Same thing I ought to be doing. I'm doing it. And uh, you know that imperative to make disciples uh, has believers as a target as well as unbelievers. Okay, the unbeliever you you target with the gospel, but the believer you target with the with the uh, abide in the word of God mandate and say, look, we're expected to live in the word of God. You're not a disciple. You need to be living in the word of God. All right, so that's uh, verse four of chapter two. Same chapter down to verse twenty-two. Uh, notice this though. Um, Verse 18, children, it is the last hour. You realize that? How do we know we're in the end times? Well, the Bible says so. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me, do you think we're in the last days? Yeah, I think we're in the last days. I think we're in the last hour. We've been in the last hour since the Apostle John wrote 1 John. Probably before that. Probably when the Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost, uh, it was officially the last hour. The whole body of Christ, the entire church age is the last hour when it comes to the sense that the trumpet could sound in any moment. Just as we heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. By this we know that it is the last hour. Okay? So this is the day and age in which we live. Um, you have an anointing from the Holy One, you all know, in verse 20, I've not written to you because you do not know the truth. See, we're believers, we have the Spirit of truth indwelling each one of us. Verse 22, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. 
And then, you know, the, the whole reality is we have this, the whole pluralism of our culture, the, the um, acceptance of, of everything else, that, well, there's many paths. No, there's not. There's one, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you deny that, you're denying the Father and the Son. If you deny that, if you deny the exclusivity of biblical Christianity, then you are pursuing Antichrist, the liar and the father of lies. And sadly, that's the bulk of Christendom today. Again, that's moralistic therapeutic deism. Good people go to heaven in their view. In the biblical view, good people go to hell when they reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hell is full of good people. Morally good people. Ethically good people. Humanly good people. All right. So who is the liar? The one who denies that Jesus is a point of emphasis here to John. Chapter 4 and verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Okay? It's pretty clear. If this is, uh, if this is your heart, your heart being exposed by this hate, do you love, do you love God? You love the one for whom Christ died? Why are you hating your brother? Christ died for him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you hate this guy? What are you doing? You're serving the liar is what you're doing. So um, aspects there. Chapter 5 and verse 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And Satan doesn't care. It could be Islam, it could be Buddhism, it could be Hinduism, it could be Mormonism, it could be any ism. <laughs> as long as it's not biblical Christianity, it could be Catholicism. Okay, because that's a different gospel altogether. Um, whatever the ism is, the ism or the schism, all right. If it's not biblical Christianity, if it's not faith in Christ, faith alone in Christ alone, then it's, it's a lie from Satan. And then quite a few of those are disguised as, as Christian flavors or denominations or traditions and whatnot. If it's not faith alone in Christ alone, it's, it's a lie from Satan. We want to be clear on that. Not only in the epistle of 1 John, but Revelation, notice this emphasis that gets made here on the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. So, you know, we go, if you think about it, we have uh, the liar, the serpent, showing up in uh, Genesis 3. <laughs> okay? You get the, so almost from the very beginning we've got lies. Not in chapter 1 and 2, there's, there's no lies in, the, in chapters 1 and 2, but here comes chapter 3 of Genesis and here's the serpent, here's a bunch of lies. And all the way through now to the end of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, and uh, we've got to do away with those lies. There aren't going to be lies in the new earth. There aren't going to be lies in the new heavens. So again and again and again we're told in verse Revelation 21, 8, for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and moral persons, that's fornicators, sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Why is that the summation? That's the, that's the summation of, of the list before it. 
all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay? They don't stop existing. It's not annihilationalism. It's not that they don't exist anymore. They do exist. They eternally exist in the, uh, the realm that is suited to their nature. They will exist in that realm of eternal darkness for all eternity. And um, it says so again in verse 27, in case you missed it the first time. Okay? Oh, it's fun. The city, what a monster city. 1,500 miles long and 1,500 miles wide and 1,500 miles high. That's a huge city, <laughs> okay? And, uh, if, you know, if it was planted on North America, it would be half the United States, you know, essentially, from the uh, uh, Mississippi River across to the Pacific Ocean. That's a huge city. Length and width and height are equal. Well, we don't know how large the new earth is. We don't know what the circumference of the new earth is, and so it may not be as large as it would be on this earth. Um, he measured the wall, 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. In case you ever wonder what kind of rulers angels use, yardsticks or whatnot. Um, all right. And there's no temple in it. There's 12 gates, there's 12 foundation stones. Um, and 12 gates and no temple. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Okay? You want to know the uh, one of the differences between the millennium and the fullness of time? The millennium has a temple. It's got a huge temple. Ezekiel develops eight chapters of that temple at the end of Ezekiel. Uh, but the, so the millennium's got a temple. Jerusalem and the new earth, no temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it. Its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. Again, lying is the summation. Unclean, abomination, and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, not that they don't exist, they do exist. There are unbelievers in existence, but their existence is now sealed off in the lake of fire for all eternity. And the third time, chapter 22 and verse 15. Verse 14 says, uh, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who, notice, loves and practices lying. Not just liars by nature, they love it. They love it and they practice it. Again, it's the summation. It's the final word on the residence of the lake of fire. Liars. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Alright, so Satan and his brood are liars. A theme stressed by Jesus, Paul, and John. 
Back to Proverbs 12. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are His delight. All right, so that's the contrast there. Point 11. Chapter 12 concludes with a six-verse poetic structure contrasting the practical benefits to applying personal and public wisdom with the sad consequences for not doing so. Practical benefits to applying personal and public wisdom. That's on the one hand in contrast with the sad consequences for not doing so. And uh, six verses here, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. And uh, you could think of them with an ABC, ABC structure. So 23 and 26 are are parallel, 24 and 27 are parallel, 25 and 28 are parallel. If you you outline your your poetry that way. ABC, A prime, B prime, C prime, if if you chart out your your, uh, verses like that. A six-verse poetic structure contrasting practical benefits. And it's very practical. It's, 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 uh, uh, the, I mean, the verses practically preach themselves in the sense that, um, you know, do you want to be depressed or do you want to be happy? <laughs> okay, well, you know, even an unbeliever says, well, I don't want to be depressed. Okay. And, and, and really, doesn't that not drive a lot of what people do, trying to find ways to feel better about themselves? Trying to find ways to not be depressed in living in a, you know, fallen bodies in a fallen world, why would you not be depressed? Okay, so you find something in your search for happiness to, uh, you know, alcohol or drugs or sex or, I mean, whatever. Entertainment, fun. So, uh, yeah, verse 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. But a good word makes it glad. Okay, the word of God is our provision for anxiety. Something you're struggling with? Man, occupy with Christ. Live in the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. And we got provision. Here it is. All things pertaining to life and godliness. I don't need a substitute or supplement the Word of God with something else. All right, so let's look at them. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. A lazy man does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. In the way of the righteous is in the way of righteousness is life, and its pathway there is no death. All right. So that's our passage. And um, great gospel passage, by the way, in verse 28. If you're putting together Old Testament gospel text, that one's got to be on your list. Uh, because there's the way of righteousness and the pathway of righteousness where there is life and no death. So, um, we'll pick up on this next week. Let's see. I got. Well, I can tease you with some of it. i got six minutes left. Um, We've already talked about keeping your mouth shut, right? Prudence knows when to keep the mouth shut. Uh, Earlier, uh, verse 16, 
A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. There's, there's a benefit to, and you might be just as mad as the next guy, but keep your mouth shut, okay? Um, he's angry and he's flapping his gums and he's, uh, everyone, everyone in town knows how angry he is, okay? And maybe you are just as angry. Just bottle, bottle it, okay? Don't, don't shout it out. Take some time. Think it through. Hey, how about if you confess that anger? Okay? How about if you confess that anger and get back in fellowship again? And in the meantime, since you haven't uh, exploded verbally, um, you don't have more damage to, to clean up afterwards, right? You don't have more apologies to make. You don't have more, you didn't make a fool of yourself, and so there's less cleanup afterwards. Okay? You're still going to have discipline for your sin, but you're, you've, you've mitigated the, the damage there in that regard. Um, know when to close your mouth, okay? And get back in fellowship. Keep short accounts. Don't let the anger get a hold of you and then, and then lead to other things. Now you've got multiple, now instead of one sin to confess, now you've got five sins to confess. So we had it already in verse 16. Uh, and it comes up again here. Um, concealing knowledge. Now there, there's time to be silent. And why would you conceal knowledge? Well it doesn't say what the knowledge is about. Um, it may be something that just doesn't need to be said. Whereas the fool, on the other hand, he doesn't care. He's going to spout it off to everybody. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear about so-and-so? Ooh, let's get the details on this. That sounds juicy. That sounds salacious. Ooh, okay. You know, I don't need to know. I don't want to know. If, uh, if, if there's somebody, I mean, why am I a tailbearer? Why, why are you a tailbearer? Why, it, does it edify? What, what, what are we doing here? A prudent man is going to conceal that. Yeah, I know why. And you don't need to know. I wish I didn't know. And the fact that I do know is, means I've got a duty to the Lord to become an intercessor and pray about it, um, which I'm happy to do because He knows everything. But I'm not going to spread that around to other people. It doesn't need to know. The fewer people that it goes to. Now, so you see what I'm saying? This is not, this is not um, a cover-up. We're not trying to we're not trying to, to paste anything over. Love covers a multitude of sins. It's all done in love. And that's uh, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Not to make excuses. Not to enable some, some wicked thing to, to continue. No, we want it to stop. But you see what we're doing here? We're not, we're not spreading it around all over the place. That doesn't glorify. That doesn't serve any purpose. There's no need to know that. All the gory details. So there's a time to keep your mouth shut. And uh, we have it here in verse 23, we had it already in verse 16, we had it in chapter 10, we had it in chapter 11, guess what? It's coming back in chapter 13. It's going to come back in chapter 17 in three different verses. Even Ecclesiastes brings it up when, when Solomon is writing under human viewpoint. <laughs> Even in human viewpoint Solomon says, you know what, uh, there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. Okay? Amos 5.13 Politically speaking, we may live in an evil time, in which case uh, the low profile, keeping silent, is self-preservation. Okay? 1 Peter 4, 8. Love covers the multitude of sins, we're told. So uh, we'll deal with this next week. We'll also talk about diligence. Diligence always has benefits, whereas laziness always has consequences. We'll deal with that. We'll talk about anxiety. What's the antidote to anxiety? Counseling and drugs? What's the, <laughs> what's the antidote to anxiety? Okay. 
the Word of God. The Word of God. Amen. All right. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that you have provided all things pertaining to life and godliness. And the liar says you haven't. The liar wants to substitute things. The liar says that your word is not enough. But your word says it's enough, and I believe you. And I thank you, Father, that uh, your truth is truth. And we can live in it. It can live in us. And uh, Father, always having all sufficiency for every good work, I rejoice in how faithful you are. So bless this study today and on into the coming weeks, so long as you delay and so long as you give us the day-by-day study of your truth. Thank you for being faithful, Father. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.